Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 48. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Acton-Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode of the Life of the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they get in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. In this episode, I sit down with Tom Martinez. Tom is an AP Biology and Biotechnology teacher at Glen Bard High School in Lombard, Illinois. Throughout his long career, Tom has worked to bring a wide variety of research opportunities and connections to his students. These include working with the BioBuilder Synthetic Biology Curriculum, working with Barcoding Life's Matrix Program, and presenting his work with students on prospecting anti-cancer drugs for marine animals in England and Sweden. Tom has also led BioBuilder After School Club, where he has traveled and presented their projects at the BioBuilder Club Summit in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, This upcoming summer, Tom will be leading a workshop on synthetic biology at the Baxter Center for Education from July 31st to August 2nd at the Northwestern University Evanston campus. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, thank you for joining me here on the last, the the waning weekends of your school year. Um, You, we were just talking beforehand about the uh, the joys of snow days and making snow days up. Um, right. <laughs> uh, so do you go back? You're going to go back. This is we're recording the last week of of May, and you're going to be going back for. Is it a full day you have to go back for? No, we get out at noon on Tuesday. Yeah, so we have a th- three day weekend, right. and you go back for a half a right. day. Um, right. Because seat time is the most important thing when it comes to education. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I'm glad you could, we could, we could hook up before, before the summer gets rolling. I imagine you've got uh, large plans for the summer as you usually do, um, traveling yeah. in various places and doing various things, but, uh, Absolutely. Thanks for joining. we were just, we were just face to face, what, uh, like about a month and a half ago in Cambridge, weren't we? Yes. Yeah. You, you make that trek out every year. Uh, we I, do. I don't yeah. know how you managed to do that. Does get, well, it's always an adventure. Yeah. Um, we missed our flight back to Chicago <laughs> due to traffic oh, in yeah. Boston, and uh, we had to stay the night. So, oh. so you get you were trying to get from Cambridge. I think I remember you telling me you were you were we were in Cambridge at Lab Central, and you had to get to Logan Airport, which I think uh, like as the throw flies, it's like oh I don't know maybe two and a half miles that we had to right. go, um, but probably took you what in like an hour and a half. Um. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I left an hour and twenty two minute time period, and. Uh, it took us uh, about an hour and five minutes. Yeah, and then there's no way you get through that giant security <laughs> maze at Logan once you get there. No, it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. I'm always I'm always baffled when I get to Logan. It doesn't matter what time you get there. Um, sure. And now that I've had the chance to fly and do some PD around the country, and I go to various airports and I look at the various security, um, I have been at Logan Airport at like five twenty in the morning on like a Saturday, and right. I I swear they like they have like extras waiting to stand in line. Yes. There. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's packed. It's a packed. It is a giant, <laughs> giant airport uh, for, where it, the volume of that airport is really staggering for for its size. So absolutely, yeah. So well, I'm glad you guys got out, and yeah, we always have that adventure of how many days you're coming out and. 
that you're sure. like you're always your kids are always presenting at the BioBuilder um, final assembly there, and then like you're like, all right, we can't wait to we can't have cake, we gotta go. Um, <laughs> right, 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 right. But uh, yeah, it's always good to see you. That's one of those guarantees. I get to see see you a couple times a year because, or at yes. least that one time a year, and talk to you on conference calls sometimes as yeah. well. All right, we could talk BioBuilder and final assembly and uh, airport stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all morning, but I'd like to get into the first question I'd like to ask everybody, which is um, something I don't actually think I know from you, even though we've spoken a lot of times over the years. Uh, how did you become a science teacher? What what led you into the classroom? Well, um, originally I was uh, hoping to become an architect, and uh, my story goes back to childhood. I'm an extremely ADHD person. I was medicated and and uh, and very interesting childhood. Um, but I, I've always been a person who's very personable and uh, I'm also a very hands-on visual type person. And so uh, what really caught my eye in my schooling was art. And so um, I was uh, I was actually an art major to start with, with a biology minor. And uh, I had no intentions at all of, of being a teacher until I met my wife. She told me, because I had the personality to do this, and I'd be really good at it. And I was, I was surprised because I really didn't enjoy school all that much. I enjoyed the hands-on component. And so what I find is that art and biology are very, very similar in my mind, mm-hmm. um, visually and also kinetically. And so uh, my entire career has been spent um, trying to enhance student learning with hands-on because that's how I learn best. And I think that's how kids learn best. And so um, it was kind of this uh, pathway that was very convoluted. And so I, I taught art for a year and then I didn't like it. Um, I like doing art, but I don't like teaching it. <laughs> so I just went back to school and, and got a biology major and started teaching bio. So you, the first time you went through, you minored in bio. So you had some of that coursework. Yes. Uh, but not enough to go and, and teach. Or did you also Correct. have to get a teaching certificate specifically for biology? Or right. back right. then, was there just like a generic, like you can teach a certificate kind of thing? Or do you have to get it specifically for biology? Um, it, was, it wasn't It was a specific deal. It was uh, more of a, uh, how many hours do you have in certain fields of science? Mm. And so I didn't have to... Uh, to get a BS mm-hmm. degree, and so uh, which is fine. Either way, I would have I would have done it, but um, you know, it just it just worked out really well for me, where I could teach biology and and still have that kind of art mentality in my mind, and it worked out really well. It's really an interesting combination. I think uh, a lot of my very artistic, creative kids are very good in biology as well. So. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I know. I definitely see that in, you know, their notebooks or in labs or stuff like that. You get the kids who have these very, very detailed drawings um, of either lab setups or uh, just other drawings that are related to what they're working on. Um, and sure. sometimes even you get very artistic drawings that have nothing to do with what you've been working on. But um, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. I get, I get a bunch. <laughs> I get a bunch of that, too. Uh, yeah. Uh, that tells me I'm not being captivating enough when I see lots of those. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, uh, so let's go through this. So you're at um, your current school, um, Glenbard, and you've been there a while. So 
what sort of pathway you come out? Um, I mean, have you always been sort of general Chicago area or have you been moving around? I, I, I think of you as just like Glenbard and Chicago, but, you know, how many years did, did you teach in various places before you got to, to where you are today? Okay, well, I, I taught, uh, my first job was in Chicago mm-hmm. at a Catholic school. So I did three years of teaching at a Catholic school. Um, I left there because I realized that I wasn't making any money. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. um, went to uh, the suburbs of Chicago, uh, far western suburbs, and um, taught at a public high school for four years. And uh, my wife and I had always wanted to have an adventure um and we thought well we were having a rough time at our schools and we decided that uh, it was time for change and so we moved to arizona Mm. and so we uh sold our house packed up our things and uh went to arizona without jobs and we had a four-year-old and uh (laughs) we just took a chance and uh it all worked out fine um I managed to get a, a job teaching middle school science for four years. Wow. Um, and I have a, a renewed respect for all middle school teachers as a result. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because it was interesting. It's interesting until you figure them out and then it's, it gets a little easier. Yeah. Um, left Arizona, came back to the Chicago area, ended up at Glenbard East and never left because it's, it's a really great school. It's a great school district. And uh, I love it here, so no need to leave. Yeah, and I I know that you know when we've talked at the final assembly, um, you you're in the process right now of of creating some new lab space and developing some some space there. Um, I also know from previous conversations we talked about that sort of you working in BioBuilder was sort of a a novel thing in terms of like a science extracurricular. Um, in your school. So I'd like to hear a little bit about, you know, this process that you're going through to creating a new space and sort of how that fits in for what you're hoping your students will do in that. Okay. Well, um, our building is uh, approaching 60 years old. Oh, wow. And um, we had a building referendum a few years ago for improvements. And um, uh, they decided that uh, some of that money would go, would be allocated to the science department here for, upgrades. And so um, I was told in January that they were going to completely tear out several of our science rooms, one of them being mine. <laughs> and they asked if there was anything that um, that I could contribute in terms of making their decisions easier and, and anything that we could do to enhance the space. And so in my mind, um, a science room is not just a place where kids sit down and do science or, you know, lab space, but, um, it has to be more. And we have, uh, a storeroom actually attached to my room. And I thought, well, why don't we, uh, really push and see what happens and, and ask for, um, a cell culture room. <laughs> and so, uh, they thought that was a great idea. Of course, they didn't, they didn't really understand. I don't think, the magnitude of the investment. Yeah. Um, but uh, I do have a mentor, Tom Tubon, who works at Madison Technical College in, in uh, Wisconsin. He came down and visited with uh, our building reps and uh, said, you know, in a perfect world, the lab space should look like this. And they're like, well, we can do that. 
And so <laughs> next thing you know, we have a couple of uh, BSL two hoods and we have some incubators and we're set up for cell culture and, um, and we're going to run with it. It's a steep learning curve for me because most of what I teach is self-taught or uh, taught via workshops. Yeah. Because none of none of the the things were even invented <laughs> when I was in school, um, and it's really exciting. And so uh, we plan on uh, integrating two sessions. We're going to do a, uh, a two-week session in AP Biology for basic uh, aseptic technique using uh, Cho cells, and uh, we'll do some fluorophore staining with those. Um, and then second semester, we're going to start using <clears throat> some uh, mouse lines, and we're going to see if we can get them to um, do some differentiation that we're controlling, which is a really powerful uh, way to look at cell signaling. You know, I think in, in AP, cell signaling is such a, a huge component that it would be really great to actually see it and control it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what we're going to try to do, two, two, two or three-week uh, units. So uh, when, you, when you look at this, are, you're, are you getting new upgraded micro, uh, microscopes as well? And visual, you know, talking about this visualization, then you also have to be able to see this. So right. in, this, in this build, are you getting the, the, the microscopes in order to visualize this and take images and that sort of thing as part of this? Yes. So uh, we have one uh, fluorescent microscope that I bought. Um, and it's a uh, BioRad Zoe, and so uh, I'm familiar with that platform, and it should uh, it should work really really well. And we're not only going to use it in AP, we'll use it in biotech. I'll use it with my regular freshman biology, and we'll do some staining. Um, but it's a uh, it's a pretty hefty investment, but I think it's uh, necessary if you if you want to visualize your cells, you need a platform to do that. So yeah, we're fortunate to have that. Yeah, and I can see all kinds of like connections between both, you know, and I do job shadowing where I send my kids out. And one of the cool things they always do is they always sit down on these big fancy microscopes and they always look at fluorescent staining and they do all that stuff. So to be able to have your students have an actual hands-on experience of that in the building, if you can then tie in some of that, you know, career extension stuff, when those kids walk out, their comfort level in that space, it's not going to just be this abstract idea right um that will be that could be a super powerful thing moving forward and then even if you don't leave the building just pull up the articles that you could see on plos or nature right. communications the kids are going to be able to say well oh yeah we understand this staining technique we understand what they mean by this cell culture um mm -hmm. And that's the case. Um, I have, yeah. a, I envision yeah. lots of contaminated uh, uh, structures, uh, contaminated <laughs> samples for the next couple of years. But um, uh, that itself is also going to be powerful too. There better not be contaminated. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> no, kind of the impetus behind this is that I, I uh, during the last four years, have uh, taken students up till up to Madison to visit with Dr. Tubon, um, and I would take twenty at a time. And I thought, you know, we have this opportunity. We can do the same thing that he does uh, in-house. And so uh, really blessed to have that opportunity. It's, it's great. There aren't many uh, high schools in Illinois that have a cell culture lab. So. I would say go, go farther than that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, but you, know, you, need to push the, you need to push the envelope. Yeah, really between you and Dave Mangus, like I just want to, 
I just uh, I don't know what how jealous I am. I, whether I'm like I'm happy for my friends, but I'm kind of like, man, I hate you guys because you guys have like you talked to Dave with his minus eighties and you know like yeah. his all of his equipment, and now you, you're gonna have this cell culture. Like combine those two are two of the things I ultimately feel like. Oh, if I only had. Um, so right. uh, I guess it gives me that good envisioning that if I, if anybody ever comes to me and says, "Yeah, we're looking at redoing some of your lab space," I'll be like. I know just the person. I'll be like dragging Natalie down. Sure. Uh, Natalie, tell us how we need to revision the space. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, I mean, what, what's interesting is that um, when I, I I stopped coaching, I I, I coached football for thirty years, mm-hmm. and I had this void in my day, and um, that's when I really started getting crazy with all the biology stuff. And uh, to be honest, we had uh, I think we had two pie pots. <laughs> um, very, we had very little. And so every year I've just been adding pieces. And so, you know, we have a minus 80. Mm-hmm. I just bought a, uh, you know, a, a liquid nitrogen uh, container for long-term storage, you know, and I've been adding pieces, you know, a couple thousand here, a couple thousand there. Yeah. And before you know it, uh, you know, the, the, the program has exploded and uh, we're, we get to do a lot of really great things. And it's not like I'm being frivolous with spending or anything like that. It's just, okay, here's a need for this year. I need pipettes. We started with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a real big uh, uh, camera guy. And so we have microscope cameras so we can document everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just kind of added pieces along the way uh, that's enabled me to do what I, what I get to do. It's great. It is great. Yeah. And um, I, I, I have a very similar feeling where um, I often have people who are like, oh, we have this? I'm like, yes, we have that. And they're like, why do we have that? It's because I was like, because I asked for it. Um, right. And or it was donated. Um, I, I'm very fortunate. I would say probably the, the greatest fortune I've gotten over the last few years is, you know, I teach with my AP students. I have the this curriculum where I send the kids out. And so most of the parents know that that's a, a core of what we do and that I try to embed the kids into sort of what it's like to work in a lab, what it's like to work with biology out in the field. And so as a result of that, what I end up doing is um, there are parents in the field who when they have, you know, they're doing a lab clear out or they're doing that, they they often donate stuff. And it's true that like 40% of the stuff they give us, I'm like, yep, we. I'm just, you know, they could have thrown it in a dumpster at their place. We're just throwing it in the dumpster at our place. But right. a lot of this stuff, you know, just little subtle things, um, you know, we got these boxes of um, of uh, water. Um, it was like a case of bottles of water and PBS. Right. And, like, I've had people at work, they're like, oh, what's this stuff taking all this space? I'm like, that's water. Like, we need all these water bottles? And I'm like, yes. Do not right. throw those out. There's, like, thousands of dollars. Like, if we were to order those yeah. one at a time, it would, it, <laughs> it would be a huge, it would, you know, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of dollars every year. And they're right. like, oh, well, you're never going to run out between now and when you retire. And I'm like, exactly. I'm never uh, going to run out of that DNA-free <laughs> water in the rest of my career. There you go. So you've now piqued my interest. I didn't actually plan on, on, on asking this. But, like, so now I'm, I'm curious about your AP curriculum because these right. are um, – I'm pretty sure that there is no um, cell culture and staining um, and cell differentiation lab in the uh, in the canon of AP biology. So it makes me wonder, um, and also knowing you a little bit from from uh, dinners uh, with BioBuilder and conversations in various places, uh, that that you're maybe not somebody who 
has a blocked out like we ever have a, every two weeks we have a test kind of guy. But no. I'm kind of curious what your what sort of the the philosophy or the arc of your AP curriculum kind of looks like or, you know, how you could describe it if you were to do sort of a, a pitch of what your AP looks like. Well, we made a um, my colleague and I, uh, Melissa Sable, uh, made a conscious decision when the rewrite happened to emphasize uh, more and more lab skill uh, type work. And so um, we've had to, to remove some things from the curriculum. Uh, we do have uh, AP environmental that kids can take. Uh, we, had, we took the environmental piece out okay. um, in favor of more um, kind of mainline it, it's gotten very molecular mm-hmm. and it's gotten very miniaturized. Um, but we've had to make some concessions. And so every year we kind of morph our, our curriculum. But we we try to do as much biology as we can. And so whether it's uh, designing experiments with uh, mini posters and peer review, we do microfluidic devices, we do all wow. kinds of things. And it seems to an outsider that it's kind of like a piecemeal uh, approach, but I learned very early that, and I was very much influenced by uh, BSCS Blue, mm-hmm. where you have a concept and then you surround it with experience. And so we'll take a concept and we might surround that concept with five or six different experiences, many of which are hands-on. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, the the material that we cover is covered um, mostly with with hands-on with some embedded teaching we don't we don't really teach a whole lot <laughs> we don't want to tip our hand we want the kids to have that aha moment and uh, so we don't we don't bury them with sit and get we uh, we are up and moving all the time and it fits our clientele really well um, our students are not the kinds of kids that would do well just sitting and yeah. listening to me and nobody wants to sit and listen to me anyway. And so, <laughs> um, <laughs> and so we go out of our way to do as many things to surround topics as we can. And it's a lot of fun for us. It's a lot of work, but if we have two lecture days back to back, we start getting crazy. The teachers the, yeah. we too, you know, we, we start getting crazy because it's, uh, it's so unlike what we do on a daily basis. Yeah, I would I would change your language a little bit. I would say you don't do a lot of telling, but you still you do a lot of teaching. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because you yeah. you said you don't do a lot of teaching, and I, I know what you mean by that. You like you don't do the. Uh, I go usually you you I think you use the word sit in there. I I have the stand and deliver is how right. I describe it, um, which yeah. I think I am still guilty of too much of it. Um, right. But it's and that's a direction that you know I'm. I, I've gotten completely out of it in a couple of my classes, but I feel like AP is the the one where when I sit back and reflect on it, I try to do some similar to what you're doing, but I do feel like I'm still very rooted. And my, unlike you, my clientele handles it. Like sure. if I stood in front of them and ta- told stories and asked them questions and engaged them, generally speaking, I have a very compliant population and they would right. just, and they just take it and they do very well with it, which is actually right. It's actually bad for me <laughs> because yeah. when you're successful doing that, they don't they don't push you to change. 
Um, I'm going to have to get, I'm going to have to learn more about your microfluidics because you just said some words that I'm like, I don't do that. And I don't even know how that would happen. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm going to have to steal some, steal some, uh, ideas from you. Sure. Um, and that, you know, they're just pieces. And so, yeah. um, I've gotten to a point I just finished 37 years of teaching and <laughs> I know, and I've gotten to a point <clears throat> and I think I got to the point about 10 or 15 years ago where I gave more control to students and, and controlled less myself. Mm-hmm. And it's been wonderful because uh, it, it's not on me all the time now. And it's let them have their experiences, let them have their successes and failures. And, you know, science is dirty. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a lot of uh, students that I have that are perfectionists and it makes them crazy because they realize that they're not in control of what a living thing does. <laughs> and so when they get results that aren't in line with what they think they should be, um, we have a little discussion about this. And um, it, it's great because it's uh, it's less me, more them. Uh, it does take a lot of energy for the teachers to, to set up and take down and create. But in the long run, it's worth it. Uh, we're not a, an AP... Um, test score centered universe Mm -hmm. we want to teach biology we don't want to teach to a five Mm -hmm. and and that's fine if you get a five that's great but if you don't that's fine too yeah um we're doing a lot of killer biology which is really the whole point yeah yeah i think that um again the culture of the school um right you know is a it for me i find is something that i'm i'm trying to work around a little bit um Mm -hmm. I think if I stood up and I said, we don't care what the AP scores are there, I certainly would have a bunch of people who would nod and smile and say all of that. Um, but I think they would also be lying a little bit. Um, (laughs) the kids certainly, the kids, I, my clientele that my number one clientele, the kids, they care. Um, I would say the majority of them sign up and they, they expect a four or five and that's, that kind of comes with territory and many of the parents do. Um, I don't feel like I have administrative pressure on that. Um, at least not yet. Um, but I also feel like if suddenly next year our, our mean average on the AP score dropped, you know, mm-hmm. by a full point or something like that, because we just changed, um, I have a feeling that the parents calling up the administrators would, uh, would make the administrators, uh, shift in their, how deeply they care about the scores. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I believe the phrase is privilege, um, <laughs> Yeah, I've been told by administrators that we don't care about the scores, um, but I also go You're like, of course you don't. They're they're great. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> right. We're we're pretty uh, we're pretty much the opposite. Our our administration in our in our community is really ecstatic about kids taking AP, mm-hmm. um, regardless of score. And you know, it's it's icing on the cake when kids are getting fours and fives. Yeah, um, but it's the experience, and and I know. I hear from a lot of students that uh, when they go to college, they are overly prepared, mm. not necessarily from a, a content standpoint, but a lab skills and um, confidence and also big picture. Um, mm-hmm. They find that they're really prepared uh, for making connections a lot better than if they just memorized dogma. So yeah. um, we kind of like that approach. And so we, we stick with it and, and everybody's pretty happy. So, yeah, yeah, I think it sounds, I mean, it sounds wonderful. And it sounds like, a, you know, the best compliment I think you can say is like, yeah, I'd take that class. Like, 
Right. You like if I could go in and I could every day show up and and do science and right. play with these toys and ask my own questions and have some freedom to not feel like we're following this very regimented schedule. That's that's the kind of space that I would enjoy being in. So absolutely, why wouldn't the you know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year olds feel the same way? Right. Um, right. So. so. All right. So as I mentioned in the introduction, and as I've alluded to many times, the reason we know each other is through BioBuilder. Um, and uh, <laughs> you're going to be leading a, a BioBuilder workshop this summer. Um, right. So I'm uh, curious also, what else you got on tap for PD curriculum development this summer? What, you know, you're, you're one school day away from summer. So, so right. what, do you, what do you get on tap? Well, we just finished, uh, my colleague and I just finished writing our um, cell culture piece, mm-hmm. our little two and a half week piece. Just finished that and it looks really nice and, and we'll morph it as, as time goes by. Um, I'm heading to Berkeley June 4th through 8th. I'm part of a, uh, a group called BioLink. Okay. And um, it's a couple of high school teachers, but it's primarily community college and four year college professors. Uh, who connect and share ideas. And, and a lot of it is uh, stem cell and biomanufacturing focused, yeah. uh, where they're developing two-year um, programs for community college students that, with certification so that they can go on and work in pharmaceutical companies or what have you as entry-level employees. And so uh, they're trying to retool the idea of preparing students for the workforce, which is really progressive, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll go to Berkeley. Uh, I'll go to uh, Madison. Dr. Tubon has a one-week stem cell program. Um, I go every year, and I, I pick up little ideas and little nuanced things. Yeah, I'll do that in June, end of June. And then uh, we're going to travel mm-hmm. um, <laughs> for July and then uh, do the BioBuilder uh, workshop. Um, at the beginning of August. Nice. So, and I have a little curriculum piece I need to write for my um, second semester cell culture. So, pretty busy, but not over the top. Yeah. That's good. Adequately busy. Enough to right, have the right. sort of lots of, of busy but reflecting time, um, sounds like, where you're building yeah. stuff. So, um, I was just uh, actually talking to um, another teacher who's out in the Midwest um, and and she was alluding to the fact that NABT is going to be in Chicago in 2019. So right. I know San Diego is this year, but uh, so do you mm-hmm. have any? Do you have any plans of taking any of this? Um, I don't know either the, the any of this. I mean, the curriculum you're building curriculum like crazy. Right. Um, is I don't know how translatable it is to any anybody's space. Um, right. <laughs> but do you have any plans for NABT 2019 in Chicago? Uh, or? I'll probably I'll probably attend. Um, yeah. I do uh, present on occasion in local um, mm-hmm. types of PDs, um, and so uh, I've, I've never promote. I've never really proposed anything at a at a large conference, but um, we do a lot uh, with local. Yeah, and it, it works pretty well. It's it's more personal that way. But I'll I'll probably attend. Yeah, uh, just to look for ideas. Yeah. Looking forward to it. I I I am penciled in at this point. It, you're, it's a year and a half away, so it's hard to right. say. But I got to right. tell you, unless I have a conflict, I I can't see myself not going to NABT pretty much every year uh, right. at this point because it's it's such a good 
uh, this is a good opportunity. So sure. maybe, maybe I should ask you for the advice because the same week you're presenting, I'm presenting a BioBuilder conference. Of course, I have a, I have a crutch that you don't have. Um, in mm-hmm. the sense that I have Natalie's going to be, <laughs> Natalie's presenting right. with me. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, like, go get sure. her, go get her coffee or <laughs> make her some coffees yeah. or stuff like that. <laughs> so I have a feeling she's going to guide me through this, but, um, so you've run these biobuilder workshops before. Yes. So, so what's it like to, I mean, I can envision the space of what it's like to be on the, the learner side, what it was like the first time I walked yeah. in there, not knowing anything about synthetic biology, Right. Um, and you walk in there. Is that is that still the case now, six, seven years later, that the, the clientele, the people signing up for this, um, are, is their awareness and understanding of, of synthetic biology grown a lot over the last, you know, six or whatever years, uh, as opposed to when I know when I walked in the door um, to prepare those, you know, what should I be prepared for in terms of the people walking in? Right. I, I remember um, my first experience was in 2012. Mm-hmm in Berkeley and I and it was a week-long workshop I had no idea what was going on until Wednesday (laughs) I had no idea and then it it hit me and I was like hey I can do this this is pretty cool um but um I'm I'm really lucky to have um graduate students from Northwestern with me and so I'm kind of the teacher liaison part uh, to make sure that the teachers are comfortable with it and where it can be implemented and where you put it, how much time, you know, the, the teacher things. Mm-hmm. And the graduate students who all work in the synthetic biology field, um, they kind of carry the day with the, with the technical mm-hmm. um, because it's always changing. And so I'm, I'm very fortunate that way. Um, the teachers that we get, um, most of them have never heard of it. It's out of the realm of, you know, what you typically see. And I think um, that I think there needs to be a little bit of a, of a kind of a change. I, I, I still see teachers reliant on books mm-hmm. and many of the books are, are antiquated and we're still doing uh, science that was done 250 years ago, <laughs> yeah. um, which is great for background, but it's not what's really going on now. And so um, the synthetic biology is a departure from the norm. Yeah. And I love it because it allows you to be creative. And so my students have a chance to design and in the club actually carry out the wet lab portion of what we do. Um, but yeah, the teachers, they're not really sure about what this is. And so my job really is to sell them on the fact that it's doable. Mm-hmm. and it just it it's it's outside the box i love it though because of that reason yeah the i think that that everybody no matter what facilities you have um can do the creativity and the design really the design component right. um and i think everybody who's ever come into those has is familiar with a transformation lab right um i guess my my hesitancy and it's it's from personal experience is that I had a hard time breaking out of the biology mindset, the discovery mindset, and get into the engineering mindset of we got to create something. Yes. And and it actually, it's been working with the BioBuilder Club for the last few years that asking the students the questions and hearing their response and getting scientific responses that I realized that I was still framing the questions the wrong way. Like right. I was still framing questions for my students about like discovery things, like 
finding things out, really like doing science and not, it wasn't until like um, maybe even two years ago that I started asking my students about like, what problems do we need to solve? You right. know, what, what needs to be built or engineered? And once I was able to crack that box of, of we are trying to solve a problem, let's just get to the solution and then work on refining that solution to make the best possible solution. That's not a way of scientifically approaching it. So I am, I am, I think better equipped because of doing that work, but I still wonder, um, I still wonder how the, the mindset of the teachers is going to come in just thinking, Oh, this is genetic engineering. We know how this is. We're going to take DNA. We're going to put it in a bacteria and we're going to make this bacteria do this thing. Wow. It glowed. Um, I don't know. I guess that's the question. How do you help people switch that mindset to start seeing things from an engineering mindset? I think um, just being able to draw on the BioBuilder Club. Yep. um, And we've had success two years in a row with our projects. And they were projects that were um, created and and thought of by the students. Um, And uh, we went for it. We, We tried it. And, uh, you know, we, we, we don't engineer the DNA, but we order the DNA engineered, mm-hmm. um, simply because our, we don't have a lot of time, um, you know, outside the classroom, I, I have to compete with other people that want my kids, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, we'll buy the DNA and, and we've been doing a lot of cell free protein synthesis. Yeah. The TXTL system. Right. And yeah. so we found that that works really, really well. And, um, it's, it's been really interesting because the kids, the, you know, they come up with the ideas and I show them how to go about making it happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do the transformations, we do the mini preps, we do all the things that are necessary. I have, my, my job is to lead them through that cause they've never seen it before. Um, but we have, we always have the aha moment at the end. Um, this year it was total destruction by a, a small peptide made in Komodo dragon saliva that just trashed all of the gram positive cells that we used. Wow. Did nothing to the gram negatives. And we had no idea how it was going to work. And it's a leap of faith. You can't see this stuff. And so you don't know how it's going to work out. And uh, it was really cool, you know, yeah. to see how it all unfolded at the end. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really it's been really great that way because we're flying blind and it's it's a little scary, but at the same time it it's really rewarding when things kind of work out at the end. Yeah. So, did your kids write up for um, the Biotrex yeah. paper? Did you guys? Not this year. We did uh, two years ago. Yeah. Uh, this year we did not um, for a variety of reasons. <laughs> the t- the timing didn't work out great for you guys either. If- right. It took a, it takes a long time to do the edits and, and yeah. all that. And it was a great experience to do the biotrex, um, and I I might consider doing it again. Um, yeah. But it just adds a lot more to my day. Yeah, so. we were. I was yesterday. We were, we were just. Oh, I mean, two days ago, we were just doing our final edits because the the drafts were due, and um, right. and I feel like my kids ended up going. We we started down that lab process. And I sort of gave them the option. I was like, well, we can write up sort of our design to this point and submit it, or we could toil around in in lab stuff and see how far we can get in there. And this group of kids really decided they wanted to write up what they did. They wanted to reflect on the work that they did and write it up and then and sort of see it to the fruition to the end of that paper piece, um, <clears throat> as opposed to doing a transformation or doing the next test or doing, you know, continuing to do the design piece. 
but to stop and reflect and do that. And that also reflected a little bit of who is in my club and sort of the leadership structure and the age. Like my seniors weren't going to do the labs. They just weren't going to do it. So they were Mm -hmm. like, they were checked out. They were, you know, they had their APs coming up. They had their time, you know, the extra time in the lab to do that work was just not something they were going to do. And the younger students didn't feel very confident in that lab piece and so they writing and researching and that stuff is a comfort zone for them and so they kind of dropped back into where they were comfortable and i'll say they knocked it out of the park i thought they did a really nice job writing and reflecting on what they did and questioning and and really did a nice job Um, but it's incumbent upon me to get the ball rolling earlier next year because i think that the problem we had is that and this is my problem every year no matter how fast i try to get them into things January and February, we get crushed. I end up losing three right. or four meetings because of snow, because of some right. unexpected things. And where we have a project idea in December, and I think we're like totally ready to go, when we try to come back in January and do stuff, like our schedule just gets totally blown up. And then the next thing you know, it's mid years. And the next thing you know, it's February break. And then right after that is our final assembly. And like we just don't get any work done in right. that January, February window. So, um, Sort of, on, we've talked a little bit about it. I'm going to try to get them in earlier. But now that we've got the lab space in Lab Central that we might be able to tap into, maybe I can get them in the lab in December, uh, right. and, and get them started that lab stuff early, and, and really try to try to get into the science earlier so that they feel right. more uh, confident to um, to test and and retest sure. and do that design cycle. So excited about that sort of thing moving forward. Yeah, my students had an idea right away. Yeah, we started we started end of August. Oh wow. And so they had an idea. They had three ideas and we selected one and we ran with it. And so most of our lab work was done before winter break. Yeah. So you're way ahead of us there cuz our first like we get usually we don't get started as a club and our club also like more than doubled in size this year. I would say right. we were three times bigger this year than last year. That's a management issue. Yeah, and so that that it certainly was. And actually, I split us into two groups, but right. it took us longer. So normally, we try to get in our idea. We try to get it built and pick our project ideas by November. Right. Um, and this, and some years, it, we, we just can't agree, and we, we toil, and we don't get one until January. And the best ones we get were picked by Thanksgiving, and I usually find it successful we do that. It took us a couple of extra weeks, and actually, it took us splitting us into two groups, um, because of the size that we were in. And so we really didn't get our project ideas until December and it was kind of late, um, to even do any of the like science, they had to do the research and figure out the stuff and that sort of thing. So if I can, my thought is if we can get it going in like September, October by get project ideas, maybe try to get them in October, then doing some wet lab stuff will be, will be plausible. Um, but, but again, you know, not knowing, not knowing that I was going to have 18 to 20 kids showing up every yeah. Thursday. Um, I thought I was, you know, I had basically six to seven kids on a regular basis last right. year. Um, you know, usually it's somewhere between six and 10 that I have um, with like six core. And this year I had legit, you know, 18 kids show up. I had like 12 kids wow. show up on Thursday, and that's with all my seniors gone. Right. Um, you know, right before a holiday weekend, they <laughs> were all showing up, they're, you know, finish up the paper. So, yeah, I think yeah. We, we we had really good we had good sustained focus by a lot of students this year, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, but it, you're right. It was from a management standpoint, it was a little overwhelming. I think I was a little slow to to make adjustments to a group that size. Right, that's so, tough. 
Yeah, but my kids did a really nice job, and like the student leadership was good, oh. and they also set the foundation. I think student leadership is going to be good going forward as well. So right. excited about awesome. that. All right, so we've talked a lot about your your cell culture stuff and and the lab space, but um, in the upcoming years, there, you know, <laughs> you're, you've been teaching for a while, um, <laughs> you, right. and I know you got a couple left, a couple years left at least. Uh, yes. What do you? What else are you looking forward to in the classroom in these these uh, remaining handful of years that you have in the classroom? Well, I have uh, two years left, and uh, uh, like I said earlier, I'm I'm always looking for pieces, and so. Uh, we are going to do a program called small world initiative. Dave Mangus does that, mm -hmm. uh, bioprospecting antibiotic producers out of soil. Um, and so that is going to be, I'm actually going to put that as uh, a, a centerpiece for my biotech curriculum. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of exciting. I'm also, uh, very into, um, SynBio beta. Um, just kind of keeping an eye on what's going on there, uh, see if there's anything I can get out of what they do. Um, and also, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Allen Center in Seattle. Um, no, I don't it's, think I know it's called Allen Cell. And uh, if you just Google Allen Cell, what you'll find is a, uh, a group of scientists who are working with um, uh, IPSC cells. And basically what they do uh, well, one of the things that they do is, is a lot of imagery. And uh, because I'm very visual, um, it's perfect for me and, and for a lot of the kids. And they have a, a catalog of 7,000 stem cells mm -hmm. that are 3D imaged, and you can tag specific proteins and rotate them and get an idea of what these cells look like. Um, they've also come up with a visual guide to human cells where they're using uh, AI and um, and imaging to to put pieces of cells together so you get a different look as compared to what you would see in a textbook these are three-dimensional rotating um, there's there's uh, all kinds of uh, text along with the different parts of the cells um, and uh, they do a lot of work with the human brain project which mm -hmm. i think is fascinating and so um, we're trying to kind of massage into our curriculum more of the allen cell materials as they come out and uh, um, kind of incorporate that more with our uh, stem cells and cell culture work so i think the the last two years of my career are going to be spent primarily with small world initiative and the cell culture items i'll still do biobuilder mm -hmm. uh, but i'm i'm getting kind of spread out kind of spread thin a little bit but it's exciting because I'm a big fan of what the Allen Cell Group is doing. They're really, really great things. Yeah. So I want to unpack each of those because <laughs> there's a lot in yeah. there. So you've got uh, so Allen. So these are induced pluripotent stem cells. Yes. Uh, I'm gonna break down your acronym for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so is, are these? Um, do these tell a story like over time? So you've got these these induced pluripotent stem cells, and do you get to see the images of them as they differentiate down? certain lines or are they just early cells because and they highlight different proteins in these these early cell times um, I guess the question is what do they look like to sure. tell a story well I, what they uh, I think the Allen cell group is a group that's very much evolving mm -hmm. um, with their imagery um, 
I found them a year ago and uh, actually met one of their chief scientists at a stem cell conference. And uh, most of what they're doing is imagery at this point, although they're heavily involved with um, some new projects that they're working with, um, drug effects on cells, and you can see morphological changes with those cells as a result of drugs. Um, they're working a lot with the uh, mapping the human brain, which I, I find really fascinating. Um, there isn't anything, uh, as far as I know, they, they may be working on something new uh, regarding uh, morphological changes over time, but I, I haven't found it yet. Yeah. Well, even if they do like drugs before and after, right? there's a story to be told there. Like yes. these are images of the cell, you know, before a stimulus, these are images of a cell after a stimulus. Right. What, you know, you know what is the stimulus doing? Um, that's, sure. that's a story to unpack. Right. Um, and, and I think that dealing with complex imagery like, like that um, is challenging, um, but also c- you could have some aha moments in there. Uh, Absolutely. So yeah, I'll be, to check that out, I'll definitely put a link in that. And then uh, we were taking a step backwards. Uh, you dropped in Synbio Beta uh, in the right. middle there. Uh, yeah. And so uh, tell uh, tell me a little bit more about Synbio Beta. I, the, I feel like I know what that is, but right. honestly, the number of things that I know that have Synbio and the word beta right. in them is pretty broad. So um, my mind went to a couple yeah. of different places. I'm not sure I know exactly what that is. Well, it's a... Uh... A very large synthetic biology uh, group mm-hmm. out of the Bay Area, um, and I follow them on Twitter. I get something on them several times a day. <laughs> you know, just I'm I'm curious to see what kind of projects they're working on in the different fields of Symbio. Um, Natalie is is speaking this year. It's in October at their big uh, their big convention, um, but it it's a way for me to keep in the loop as far as what's going on in that, in that field. Cause it's happening so fast. Yeah. Um, so is it, it, is it like Simberg? Like, is it an industry organization or a collection of scientists? It is. Yeah. Right. And so, um, I, I get all kinds of information about what they're doing and there's a lot of tags toward CRISPR mm-hmm. and, uh, lots of other things and just keeps me in the loop, uh, because it's, it's not a static, community mm-hmm. and it's changing super fast and I want to stay on top of it. And that's really kind of a way to do it. Uh, I won't go to the conference cause I can't afford it, <laughs> but, um, I, I am curious to see what they come up with all the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I find that they're the, I find that they have, they're addressing a lot of interesting challenges, but they also raise some, I don't know if there is much ethical questions as, um, points of conflict or, points of discomfort maybe discomfort is the appropriate word where you know where you propose to students like do you eat you know synthetically lab-grown meat you know you know do you eat that and there's some students who immediately are like grossed out by it you know do Mm -hmm. we genetically alter this to solve this problem and you can get this discomfort i don't know as many and certainly there are some ethical issues that pop up but even better are the visceral reactions that students have in discomfort. Um, so they're great openers to a lot of curriculum. Um, I know that where I've been rethinking parts of my curriculum, I find that I often am using 
questions that synthetic biology is trying to solve right. <laughs> as part of what they're working on. Absolutely. So that and the uh, the promise of CRISPR. Yeah. Um, I'm determined to do a couple of basic CRISPR labs in the next two years. Um, I did have a professor come down from Madison. We did CRISPR two years ago. Oh wow! Uh, CRISPR edited plasmids, and he brought me some GFP edited flies. The GFP eyeballs, and uh, it, it's it's interesting. Um, and I think it would be irresponsible to not at least talk about it, if not actually perform CRISPR with students. Yeah, I don't know that I'm going to get to um, to to a wet lab anytime soon with my lab space, but I do know that. Um, the the group that does uh, personal genomics right. has a uh, how might advances in our ability to change genomes impact individuals in society. Uh, they have sort of a walkthrough case study that talk, that opens up the concept of CRISPR, talks about what it is, how mm. it works, and how it might be used, and some of the some of the questions that are raised by it. And it was new in 2017 that they put that out. So my I actually have a plan specifically to implement that um, I may test it out with my AP students before the end of the year just to yeah. sort of get their perspective on that. But it's I, sure. I've been trying to figure out what's the right way to weave CRISPR in, but it definitely is a thing that kids ask about. Um, sure. So You know, and I, when I look at the AP bio curriculum, you know, it's uh, still pretty much stuck in a Mendelian kind of framework. Um, and thank you, Gregor, for <laughs> for all you've done for us. But it's so much more, yeah. and uh, and I and I just I just feel as though I need to hit some of the current modalities um, to make it a, a real viable topic area because it's you know if it's Mendelian it's just narrow and there's just so many things going on. Yeah. Well, they did have it this year. They had um, you know a temperature sensitivity question in their right. open responses, that really is an epigenetic. Right. You know, it really is that I think they are opening up. And to me, when you said it's stuck in a Mendelian, um, I was struck by, I took students to the Whitehead Institute this year because um, we go and visit a lot of labs. And and uh, that was one of the labs that, that requires us to have a chaperone. Um, so, right. I brought, sure. so I brought a small number of students in on that one. Um, and the people who are working with Arabidopsis are specifically looking at methylation and right. looking at, um, they're looking at not genetic but epigenetic signaling, and right. and that's and then they're modifying the genes that are associated with epigenetic signaling. They're, so they're the genes that they're modifying are are changing that epigenetic signal, and that's that's yeah. the layer that they're working on. And I think a lot of the cell signaling stories you can talk about uh, will be involved in that. And I think there is a continuum from that Mendelian base phenotype all the way up to the control mechanisms, all the way up to the, then the modification. Because when we go to make our modifications, we have to make our modifications in a smart way. Do you want to make a modification that is down to that genomic genome level where you're changing the HCCs and Gs, or do you want to modify acetylation methylation, or do you want to do something like RNAi, which is just a silencing, which is a whole other layer that's not even, you know, doesn't even have a multi-generational impact. Um, I think that that conversation about genetic altering uh, is is definitely something that it's within the scope of the AP to talk about those different levels, but you definitely have to come up with a story 
to tell that to tell that, and it takes takes a lot of unpacking and framing for students to get that that degree right. of complexity. Well, yeah, I'm I'm also involved in a couple of other things which are really <laughs> interesting to me. One of them is uh, some pharmacogenomics. Uh-huh. Uh, we do have Targeting. a um, college close by, and um, it's a um, a lot of the students go and they they get uh, pharmacy degrees from them. Oh, yeah. And so uh, there is a professor who's going to sit down with me in June, and we're going to talk about um, activities that kids can do to take. Uh, genomic information from like 23andMe, for example. And uh, there are a variety of different places you can go to determine uh, what kind of uh, pharmaceutical could influence a particular marker, which I think sounds fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm exploring that. I want to find out what that's about. And again, I'm, I'm just looking for a piece. I'm not looking for... <laughs> you know, to develop an entire curriculum around something like that. But I call them hey wows, you know, (laughs) and there's a lot of hey wows out there, you know, that enhance what you do. Yeah. Um, I think the small world initiative idea is really great. Is that, Uh, is that related to, so that's when you collect like soil samples and mm -hmm. isolate, is that tied to phage, is that tied to the phage work out of Pittsburgh or is this a separate group? Uh, It's separate. This uh, originated from Yale. Okay. Yeah, it was an undergrad course, and then uh, uh, the people who wrote it moved on to Madison. Okay. And uh, so it's an undergrad uh, microbiology course with a focus on finding uh, antibiotic producers. Um, And I I find that really interesting and and timely. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to explore that as well. All right, I got to tap into you and Dave on that one because that's yeah. that definitely fits in with a lot of the things that several of the storylines that I work on. And um, I was working on an antibiotic an antibiotic storyline with my students uh, this past year in my alternative program students, and that was the I feel like that would be a much more engaging story than yes. what I ended up using with them. Like, I felt like I had a good lead up, but I was a little disappointed with sort of, I felt like my lab series sort of petered out a little bit uh, with that. And I think that might be something. So I'll definitely, again, add that to the show notes and now put that in (laughs) another one of those things I need to to dive into. All right. So uh, now that we're through, we're talking about the classroom. When you're not teaching, you mentioned travel earlier. What what do you do? Because you don't have any free time um, because you have (laughs) 12,000 initiatives. And um, I am a I am a biology nerd. I yeah. am <laughs> with a very patient wife. Very patient wife. Completely engaged with. <laughs> my mind never shuts off, and that's one of the hallmark characteristics of an ADHD person. Yeah, never shuts off. Um, but when when I do relax, my son I have a son who lives in San Diego, so we go there quite often. Uh, I like to bike, and I like to run. Mm-hmm. However. My recovery time for running is expanding, so biking's a little more, a little, a little more friendly to my body. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that's that's what I do. Um, it's a great stress reliever, and I, I do a lot of thinking when I'm on my bike. Yeah, um, which is is great. It's on a uninterrupted think time. So, um, yeah, I, I struggle in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think I think we've discussed that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. Uh, yeah. Yeah, most of, 
most of my life is just is just thinking about biology and thinking i know it sounds crazy but um just thinking about the cool things that are there and how can i work that into what i do because my students deserve the best i can give them mm -hmm. and to be the best you have to work at you know it just doesn't come to you and so yeah. um you know you know as well as i do that it, it takes a lot of time and energy to be good yeah so I don't know. I, I get, <laughs> I think similar to you though, also it, because it's so fascinating to me, I don't, right. I don't always like, I don't always find it to be, I don't find it to be work at all. Like I really just don't. Right. I just, it's just one of those right. things. Like I just find that I just spent, you know, I get people ask me that question that like, you know, when do you sleep or when did you do that? Or like, how did you manage to do that? And I was like, cause I started working on it and I was like, how does this piece together? How does this, like, what is this puzzle? Right. And the next thing I know, I've just spent two hours working on something. Right. Um, like I, I get lost, I get lost in work. I get Amazing. lost in the thing that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and so maybe I don't even necessarily, it, it is work, but I don't think of it that way. It's, I get lost in the, the journey of working right. on whatever the thing it is that I'm doing. And, you right. know, sometimes, um, we were just doing a clean out of our, of our bio prep room and I was going through these boxes and I'm like, yep, we don't use this anymore. And I'm going through and people are like, you're just going to throw that out. And I'm like, yep, we don't use it. Like, but it took right. you so long to develop that. And I was like, yeah, it took me a long time to develop it. It, it. We went on that journey. It's not useful for anymore. We've got better things now. We're just going to chuck it. They're like, really? And I'm like, yes. And I'm yeah. like, I'm just chucking <laughs> stuff from boxes. I, I emptied, I got rid of like 10 different lab, like preset lab boxes that we had put together, but nobody had used them you know, in five or six years and they were taking right. up space. And I just, and like, I have, I'm like, I, I have other stuff I want to fill in this space. Right. And if we don't clean it up, it's, it's there. Um, and some people have a hard time separating that I spend all this time developing this thing. And for me, like that time spent developing the thing was part of the journey. And even if you don't develop anything out of it, I learned a lot doing that and that's great. Um, right. And so I don't really care about keeping, <laughs> keeping stuff around. Sure. In that and I, you know, I, I'm not the kind of person that overthinks things either. Mm -hmm. um, I want to know because I'm curious. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to know because I want to drill down into the nitty gritty molecular basis of this or that. Um, I look for the, I look for the cool factor, you know, I want to see things that are pretty cool. And, you know, if you can treat a disease with a particular drug, that's pretty cool. I want to know how, you know, how that works, how you figure that out. Um, but I, I do get a little bit over-scienced. I get scienced out <laughs> um, because I, I really never shut my brain down. And so I have to build in times where I'm off the grid. Yeah. And uh, because I, I do get overwhelmed with science, it's, it's just so, <laughs> there's just so much of it. Yeah. So. As long as you get that balance in, you know when to t take the time. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Before we get to picks of the episode, do you have any questions for me? Um, no, <laughs> I really don't. I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm amazed at what you do. Um, it's, it's nice to hear that you have uh, student clientele that are at the level that, that, you know, your community requires them to be at. Yeah. Um, and you've seen those, you get to, you've seen them, you've seen them yes. present. And, and it's a double-edged sword sometimes, yeah. but, um, you know, I, I, I'm really impressed with your kids and what you do with them. And, 
and uh, I'm I'm kind of envious, um, <laughs> not having um, access to all the things that you have in the Boston area. We're kind of isolated, and so you, I mean, you can literally pick up a phone and call somebody in the in the biotech sphere and uh, get some action. So um, it's it's pretty cool. It's a good place to be. Yeah, it is a good place to be, and um, yeah, we are we are very fortunate, um, and uh, I am perpetually amazed by the uh, the spirit of generosity um, that is around us. That right. you know, I had the perfect example of you know just being in. Uh, I had a student this year who came to me early in the year, and um, uh, she had read George Church's book. Um, uh, that it would just come out, it came out about the woolly mammoth and then had right. went and saw him and like got it signed and, and sort of shook hands with them and had a picture taken. And I do a job shadowing project. And she said, I'd really like to go to the George church lab. And I was like, okay, sure. So would I. <laughs> um, and, and so she's like, what do I do? And I was like, we'll send them an email. And she said, the worst case scenario, they'll say no. Right. And so she sent them an email and he said, she sent George church an email cause she had just met him like a yep. couple weeks before at a thing. And she said, I met you at this thing and I was really impressed and I really enjoyed your book. I'm wondering if I could go in and they're like, sure. And she got to spend six hours in George church's lab shadowing people who work in the lab and work on the woolly mammoth. And she saw the woolly mammoth cells and that sort of thing. And she stood right. up and did her job shadowing presentation this past week. And the kids in the room, you could tell were like, Oh my God, like you, you did this, this person who we've read about and you know, I, we've heard of this guy and, and I was like, so, how, and I, so I, I knew the story. I'm like, so how did you get this like space in this lab? And she's like, well, I sent him an email and asked. <laughs> and I was like, right. it's that simple. Um, yep. You know, like I said, the worst thing that will happen is that they'll ignore your email and you won't hear back. And you, sure. you have lost nothing but the, you know, maybe half hour to an hour it took you to craft a really nice email. That's the only thing you lose by sending that email and getting and, and, yep. and not getting a response. Um and then a lot of times when you send things off, like I send off to a handful of professors to set things up, and a lot of times what they'll say is, no, I can't do this, but you should check with this colleague or this colleague who right. may have the space. Right. Um, you know, that's that's oftentimes how I make my connections to find places for students to visit labs and that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah we are very fortunate, and um, and I will say that the the biology community, and while you will encounter – you know, your occasional pompous jerk here or there in any field. Uh, I cannot say enough positive things about the the academic community and the support for uh, high school students uh, in the area to visit like both industry and university labs in this area. So um, I agree. Very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we are on to picks of the episode. So uh, Tom, what is your pick? So I actually have three picks. <laughs> is that legal? Yeah, it's now the trend, apparently. It's the, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. So one pick is um, something that grabbed my attention recently was uh, work being done at University of Chicago by Dr. Jack Gilbert uh, on microbiome. Unbelievable stuff. And uh, uh, what really caught my students' attention were uh, fecal transplants. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, microbiome, uh, stay tuned for that one because that seems like a, a huge uh, contributor to health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, my second pick uh, of something got my attention recently was um, Dr. Mike Jewett from uh, Northwestern came out and talked to my AP biology kids 
and he's uh, one of the uh, movers and shakers in synthetic biology. Um, he was fascinating, great with kids, uh, talking about, you know, career pathways and, and how do you get involved with Synbio. Um, brilliant guy, very, very engaging. So that was, that was cool. And then uh, something that grabbed my attention is not biological at all. It's the volcanoes, mm. in, uh, a volcano in Hawaii. Uh, we walked on that field uh, about 10 years ago. And it's now exploding. And I thought it was really cool. I'm kind of a geology nut as well. Uh, but uh, I find it fascinating to walk on that on that field and, and now see it, you know, inundated with lava. And it's a, it's really kind of a cool thing. Um, so those are those are things that grab my attention um, recently. And, and, uh, and they, they kind of tweak my interest a little bit. So neat. I don't know if that's what you're looking for. But... Yeah, those are all totally <laughs> interesting uh, uh, things that are that are super current in the news. And I will uh, I'll put some articles about um, all of those into into the show notes um, as I'm making my notes right now. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, Dr. Gilbert has a really nice TED talk. That might be something that you can tag. And uh, he's a fascinating guy. He's really great. That microbiome uh, information is just really interesting to me. So yeah, well, <laughs> it's 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 high up on my list too. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. all all right. So my pick is actually something I'm like I'm like ninety percent sure that I stole this from uh, a post somewhere on on the internet from uh, from Brad Williamson. Um, if it wasn't something he posted, it was something he commented on, um, and that's a uh, it's a monthly ac- uh, activity from the American Statistical Association and the New York Times Learning Network called What's Going On in This Graph? Um, and basically every month they're putting together a, a figure and they're putting it up and they're literally asking what's going on in this graph. And I think it's a, you know, you sort of had the those those sort of gotchas or the like wow kind of mm. moment um, scrolling through these. These are some, these are some graphics that tell a story. And, Presenting them to students and asking them what's the story being told with this figure, I think is a is a really powerful thing to do with kids. Um, a lot of times with my students, I know when I ask them questions about, you know, a, a graph that they've created, what I say to them is like, well, what's what's the story in this graph? Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you trying to tell me in this? And a lot of times they don't even think about that. The fir- when you first get kids in, you know, they're freshmen, they're like, they just like tell me the type of graph you want to make. You know, tell me the graph I should put in here. Well, how do you want this? What's the format? You tell me. And I'm like, no, no, you tell me. What is the story you're trying to tell me with this figure? And then tell me that story. And I, so I think that giving them exemplars of figures that tell a story is a really important thing in what we do um, and can be, you know, not something that's super time consuming. This could be your first 10 minutes of class or your last 10 minutes of class showing a figure and asking students there and, and with some of these, they definitely will will pique people's interest and in, uh, and tell some stories. I'm curious to see how they build this out over the next few months. Yeah, I'm curious now too. I, it sounds like a great idea. Yeah, so it's one of those resources that I'm going to be playing around with over the summer. Sure. Sure. All right. So, well, Tom, thank you again for for joining You're me welcome. here as we as we wrap up. Uh, let me give show credits. Um, 
you can support this work that I do on this podcast at patreon.com slash lots. I invite Patreons into a Slack community where the work of myself and John Darko and David Knufke post. Um, and I also put my episodes up there a little bit early, a little ahead of when they get out on most uh, podcatchers. And you can hear music from uh, this and every episode is by X Magicians and Jake Jenkins. And I have a link to that also in my show notes. And you can get show notes both on the Patreon page as well as lifeofthschool.org. You can follow me at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School. And you can follow Tom at Tom G. Mart uh, as well. I'll tag him when I send this out. All right. Thanks again, Tom, for joining me. I'm You're sure awesome. we'll touch touch base. And uh, I may send you some, some questions via email to, to about what I I need to build in my curriculum getting ready for next year. Sounds great. All right. Thanks to everybody right, for joining me you. and I will talk to everybody soon. Bye.